in worship, I was just thinking, you know, when we worship, and I know Neil shared some of this, but our minds it must be, I'm here worshiping Jesus, but not in the abstract sense that Jesus is somewhere millions of miles away in heaven, but in the physical sense, because he says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. And, um, and I sometimes forget that, and I try and remind myself that as I'm here worshiping, Jesus is here. He's not far away. He's not abstractly here. He's physically here. Each one of us has his Holy Spirit in us. So when we worship, we might as well stand in his very throne room. And to know that's where we stand when we worship, because then it's an encounter. Then it's a meeting with a person, and it's real, and he's real. And, um, and the same applies to when we read the Word. We're not just reading text, we're reading the words that the Holy Spirit breathed through men over years that God left for us here as his words to be with us forever, and through which the written words we will be taught, edified, but they were written by the Holy Spirit. So when you read the Word, you're like, be aware of the Holy Spirit. You can only read the Bible without the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. So you can read it without the Holy Spirit even if you had the Holy Spirit because you're just not stepping into that realm. I am here. Holy Spirit is here. We are going to read God's Word. And... So the only reason I share this is that what I'm going to share now um, and what I'm going to share on is the kind of thing that, that applies to our everyday life. And our everyday life should not be, I'm getting up, I say my prayer and I have my coffee and I'm off to work and meetings and then more meetings and then dinner and then I come home. I say my prayers, I have my coffee, I have my coffee, then say my prayers to make them sensible. Um, and then you go out with Jesus. You go out with God. The Holy Spirit doesn't stay at home. He didn't leave while you were sleeping. You are walking with God. So a lot of people speak about, you know, practicing the presence of God, and some people can be really quiet and I know some, some people just have the ability to have this amazing encounter with God in quiet times or in prayer, but we should have that all the time. He's with us. He's in us. So my, as I go through my day, all of it's encounter. And if we don't switch on our awareness, life becomes life and mundane, and worship is something to get past so we can listen to the guy talk about the words so we can go home and have lunch. That's not it. This life is a life walking with God in the Holy Spirit. We're in Christ. In Christ. In some spirit, we were inside of Jesus. When we died in baptism, we died with him and we were raised with him. And we are seated with him in heavenly places. And that reality is much more interesting than the, love we, the life we live when we think we just have to do the stuff. Anyway, so... So, what I wanted to share on... We were driving in a car, me and Niels and Zefroki, and then um, I just popped up about 
forgiveness. And I think the two, well, unforgiveness. I think the two evil twins that I've identified of unforgiveness is offense and anger. But I'm going to start with forgiveness and what the word tells us about what our attitude should be to forgiveness. And it's, it's like most of these things. When you start reading deeper into it, it gets sometimes very complicated and sometimes... So I'm going to share the little things that I, that, I saw, that I saw and that I think speaks to the topic. But as you listen, the Holy Spirit will give you your own revelation and will apply these words to your own lives, in your own context, and to your own heart. So how am I doing for time? Okay. Five minutes left. Okay, so... Hmm. So most Bibles... When it gives us the Lord's Prayer, it says the Lord's Prayer. But of course, it's really the believer's prayer, isn't it? That's the prayer he gave for us to pray. It's not the prayer he prays. And it's a prayer we should, not as an obligation, but should as a, almost a, a means of God's provision of life, pray every day. It's meant to be prayed every day. Give me today my daily bread. Not for the next week, next month. Jesus, I'll see you a month from now. I'll give me my daily bread for the next month. Why? Because he wants a relationship with us. It's day to day. In the Old Testament, when he was giving the Israelites food in the desert, he gave them manna from heaven that lasted only for the day. Because, you know, we're like, if he gives us food for a month, we forget about God and where it comes from. Every day. The things we need for every day, the grace for every day, we need to get from the Lord. So, what is amazing, is if, it's not a long prayer, but I just want to lift up these four parts where, where the prayer, the believer, really prays for things for himself, practical things. The first is his daily bread, which is provision. Then he prays, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protection. And then, and then it's unclear whether, it's still Jesus speaking, but it's unclear if he's just affirming something or if it's part of the prayer. I don't think it's part of the prayer, but the next line is, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, Jesus didn't think we have mental problems. We forgot that he just said it. He repeated it. And of all three things he wanted us to ask for, he wanted to emphasize one above the other. And there's not much else we ask for in the whole prayer. So when that happens in the Bible, one of the, the little things you, as you interpret your Bible, when something's repeated, it's important. Sometimes when it's put first, it's important. This is the law of repetition. So, just for in case, you, you, when you prayed, Lord, forgive us our debts, forgive me my debts, as we have forgiven others. Just for in case you didn't know what that meant, he says in the end. Because if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. But look at 
12, the second line, it says, as we also have forgiven. In other words, you can't pray the first line if you haven't done the have forgiven part yet. Don't ask for forgiveness if you haven't yet forgiven. If you pray your prayer and you get to the part, Lord, forgive my sins, and there's still offense, anger, unforgiveness in your own heart, stop right there because you might as well pray to the ceiling. It's going nowhere. You need to forgive. You need to clear your heart. Then you can ask for forgiveness. Okay, so then, I don't think we'll go on to the next one yet, but I'd rather can't see all these glasses. I get so excited when I can see far. Okay, so, so the thing about for, just for forgiveness, we'll talk now about the spiritual side, but you all know by now with Google and everything else that unforgiveness has very, very real physical consequences. Harvard Law School, Medicine School, Google it, it's there. Heart conditions, arthritis, um, mood conditions. People who live with unforgiveness, whether they're Christians or not, they have these sicknesses that are linked by what, how they are and how they operate to a person's unforgiveness. And they've learned this and it's, it's recorded. So it's a fact. We'll talk about your spiritual health in a moment. But your physical health will suffer if you don't properly forgive. Right, so let's look at what Jesus taught on forgiveness. And Matthew 18 is a good place to start. Um, let me just see what this is. Yeah, there. So don't look there yet. So I just want to intro that. So that is the parable of the, I think it's the wicked servant, unforgiving servant. But, but just see, so that's Matthew 12, 23. The, the chapter starts earlier on, and Jesus teaches on, he says to, he teaches to his disciples, what do you do if somebody, a brother or a sister, somebody church sins against you? And then he says, well, what you do is you go to your brother or sister and you try and resolve it between you. And if you've resolved it, you've won a brother. And if you can't resolve it, take a witness and go try and work it out with them. And the context there is people that continually sin against you. So you go to say, Dale, every Sunday you park in my parking spot. So let me just take you aside and say, look, bro, I mean, if you don't mind. And if he doesn't, then I'll take Neil. And then this is, if, if after you've taken a friend, then you bring it to the church. And Neil will say, look, sounds a bit odd, there's a parking spot here, but Neil will say, um, before the church, Dale, you know, you can't have his parking spot. And, and, and if, if Dale will not repent of the sin towards me, then we will have to put him out of the church, out of fellowship, until he comes around to that. But just important about that, the purpose of that is redemptive. You want him to feel I'm now outside of fellowship, and therefore outside of the fellowship of God, and actually it's just because I'm stubborn. So I'm going to just get over myself and forgive because I need to be with the Lord. So the purpose is to bring him back, not to chase him away. So then right after that, Peter, in typical form, says to Jesus, okay, Lord, so if my brother sins against me, there's now one brother, Liam this time, if he sins against me, how many times must I forgive him a day? Seven times? Jesus said, no, no, no. 
77 times 7 times. That's once, so if you take the waking hours, minus the 8 that you sleep, or do it, whatever. It's every 12 minutes. Liam kicks me on the knee, and I have to forgive him from my heart. And 12 minutes later, he kicks me on the knee and says the nasty word to me. I have to forgive him. So Jesus making the point is, this is, there's no end to your duty in the Lord to forgive. Okay, and then he tells, and then after all that, he tells this parable. Oh, you found it. Okay, so we can go to the slide three. Hmm. Okay, so, so Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and we just pause there, whenever Jesus talks of the kingdom of heaven, he talks about the kingdom we live in, in the sense that we live in the kingdom of heaven as representatives of, of the body of Jesus, Jesus on earth. So he talks about people in the church and one day how we will live, but also how do we live now as believers. Maybe compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, because I don't know if you, many of you know what that means, accounts, so uh, in those days, some of the servants, say, would um, handle the storehouse. And then once every two months, he has to settle accounts, comes to the master and say, okay, what did you buy? Uh, what money did I give you? What did you spend? Okay, account settled, right. When he began to settle, one of them was brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents, old, old uh, money value, but the NIV says 10,000 bags of gold. It translates in modern day terms to trillions of rand. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So just to pause there, in the year 2000 was the height of the Roman uh, rule. And it was also so in, uh, old um, in the Israel uh, background, but in Rome, you owned your slave. So you could sell him like property. So that's why the master could say to his to him, look, you can't pay me, but I'll sell you, and I'll use the money to pay your debt. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So try and imagine that as a, I don't know, you know what an IOU is, or a, a, a letter of acknowledgement of debt. In other words, there's a, there's a piece of paper where your money his, his debt is written on and says, okay, I'll tear it up. Next, next slide. But when that same servant, this is another guy that just got f f forgiven for a million trillion rands of debt, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, hundred silver coins. Point is, it's ten rand compared to. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you exactly the same way this guy had just pleaded with his master. But look at what he says. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported that to their master, all that had taken place. Next one. Thank you, guys. 
But his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, he, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We're not, we're not even finished with the chapter. And Jesus says it again. So we'll get to that in a moment. We know where we fit in that story. We're the wicked servant. Why? Because when each one of us came to Jesus, most of us adults, we had a mountain of debt. Sin debt we couldn't pay. There's no way you can get into heaven and avoid hell if the mountain of the debt of your sins against God from you were born. We're born evil, by the way. So you commit sin against God until you meet Jesus. And then you walk with him. You'll still sin, but you can ask for forgiveness on a daily basis. But when we come to the Lord, we have a mountain of sin. We like to look at serving. Then, then Jesus comes, the master, when we surrender our life to Jesus as they'll pray. And he says, you know what? I'll forgive all your debt. Trillions. You could not pay it in a hundred lifetimes. Then Dale takes my parking spot, 10 rand. And I don't want to forgive him for his 10 rand. I might smile to him, but in my heart, I'm still miffed with him because I haven't forgiven him. I'm that guy. Every time somebody offends us or hurts us, and we get angry at them, and we leave, and we carry that unforgiveness with us for this one thing this person did. If you're a Christian, you're that guy. Because you have been forgiven all of your sins. Okay, so... So, so the key to understanding forgiveness is mercy. And we hear a lot about mercy and grace in the church. And I think it's just important that we see that there's a distinction. Sometimes they talk about the same thing, compassion, kindness. And those words, are, there's a few Hebrew words that mean compassion, kindness, etc., etc. And they, they overlap. But in the context of forgiveness... The mercy we're speaking of is the mercy of God to forgive us our sin and to atone for it. In other words, to pay for it through a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is Jesus. Now, that's something God does because an essential part of his character is that he's a merciful God. You read it right from the beginning of Exodus. His character is to be merciful. He's also just. But his character is also to be graceful. Graceful means you didn't earn the right to go to heaven. You can do all the social work in the world and feed poor people, and you can't get into heaven. We're saved by grace. 
the Father sent Jesus so that we can be saved, not by what we did, but by what he did. So grace is favor we don't deserve. Mercy is avoiding judgment and jail or death that we do deserve. So the mercy seat, um, yeah, so you'll have to go to the next text. I just want to show so, no, the picture. So the mercy seat in the time of Israel looked like that, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And that was in the holiest of holies. And the top was a solid gold lid. And the two angels spread their wings towards each other like there. And in that place in the middle is where God manifested himself when he spoke to Moses about Israel. So that was the mercy seat, and it represents the throne of God. And the Hebrew word, they will be able to help me, but I can't find it now, he's there somewhere. It, mean, it simply means atonement. Kapureth, kapureth, something like that. So it's, it's, it's the place of atonement. So the high priest would go in there once a year, and he'd sprinkle blood as a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. And that's how God can say, okay, I can come to you now, your sins have been paid for, because otherwise if you come to you, into my presence as evil, unforgiven people, you will die. So we, don't, we can skip the next text, and then go to, before we, Okay, just I'll hang there. So we all know that the mercy seat points to Jesus, right? Because if you read the book of Hebrews, it says how Jesus becomes the new high priest. He goes once and for all, and by his blood on the cross, atoned for all of the sins of all mankind forever. So, go one on. Can you move one on? So, I've taken this from the CSV because it's the one that translates it like this. It says in Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ bought us. God presented Him as the mercy seat by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His restraint. God passed over our sins previously committed. Jesus is the mercy seat. And I haven't seen this before, and it's not my revelation, and maybe it's not even intentional, but we don't know. Can we go to John, that John scripture? When Mary found Jesus, she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One on his head, one on his feet. Like the angels were on the mercy seat. Amazing. Right, so the big deal about mercy is that it's essential to the character of God that he is merciful. Until Jesus, he's always made a way, he made a way. When, when, when the people were evil, he made a way to find a way to have a sacrifice so he could pay for their sins out of his mercy, forgiving their sins so that he could have a relationship with them. The mercy seat, which is the most holy thing in Old Israel, is all about that. Jesus' death on the cross is all about that. On the cross, Jesus atoned 
for our sins. He paid for our sins. It's the, 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 the abstract concept will be Jesus' blood was spilt and absorbed all of God's wrath towards the sins we've committed so that they paid for, so that we don't owe that debt. So if the very essence of the God we serve and the very essence of our salvation, our Savior's terrible crucifixion on the cross was so that God could extend mercy to us. Then he says, you need to extend mercy to others. Because so many things in God is like that. He says, if you judge, you will be judged. Give as, as, as the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. If you're generous, it will be generous back to you. But it's a flow. We're supposed to flow in the grace of God in the sense that he empowers us to do stuff for others. His mercy flows from the top through us to others. If we block it, we don't get mercy. You can't stop the flow. If you stop being generous, God may, may be stop being generous through you. Okay, so now, so in, yeah, next one. So when Jesus said a few chapters earlier, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. I always thought if you give food to people on the street and money to poor people, mercy-hearted people, you're good with God. God will bless you. That's not it. That's not it. Let's look at James 2.13. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. So you're blessed, not because you fed somebody who's homeless. You're blessed because you will receive mercy. If mercy, if, if the only mercy you have is the mercy you extend to poor people on, on the street when you give them money and you help some other person. That's nice, but it's cheap. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean to God what this does, forgiveness does. Mercy is not, uh, forgiveness is not cheap. It's going to cost you. It's easy to feed people who don't have anything. It's hard to forgive people who've hurt you. Every time. That's expensive. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you wrestling with the Lord. It's going to cost you wrestling with, with, with the Word. But that's what Jesus did. We need to wrestle in the same way he did and extend mercy to others. It's the only mercy that's of any value. So, done most of that. So when I don't forgive somebody, somebody um, does whatever. Somebody hurts my feelings in a meeting. They don't even know about it. And I decide I'm, 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 I'm just not going to forgive them. I'm doing two things that God hates for us to do. And that is only for him to do. The first thing is I judge them. You've sinned against me and you're guilty of that sin. They, don't, they didn't have a, a, a hearing, but I've judged them. 
Why? Because I'm still angry for, at them in my heart. And then I take vengeance. I'm not judging guilty, but I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to keep you in the prison of my heart and not forgive you because that will be letting you go out of prison. Judgment is only God. Vengeance is only God. Not us. Okay, let me see if we have to go to this one. Yeah, just go to the next one. Just Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That was such a revelation to me. It means that if my secretary, which she does, almost too often, maybe God's working on me, but <laughs> she makes a mistake, and it's a silly mistake, and we've spoken about it, and I've asked her not to do it, and she does it again. Then, sometimes I lose my temper. Now, it's not the old Marius, because it's no ugly words. I just short, and I make her know it without saying too much. And then I put the phone down, and then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me. And he's like, can we talk about that? <laughs> you did not extend mercy. Because mercy isn't t to tell her, you've made a mistake, apologize to me and I'll forgive you. That's not mercy. Mercy is, she's made a mistake. And whether she apologizes or not, I'm going to overlook it. I'm going to forgive it. And I'm going to treat her as if she made no mistake. Because that's how Jesus took us back. He didn't say, oh, by the way, can we just talk about all your sins? No, no, no. He says, I'll forgive them all. So now, as if that isn't bad enough, now this person's like, you have to call Greta. So then I call Greta. And I'm not allowed to say, Greta, by the way, you know what you did? I've spoken to you many times and, you know, I got angry, but, you know, it's, I did tell you. No, no, no. All I'm allowed to say is, Greta, I'm sorry when I spoke to you just now. And this has happened, obviously. It still happens. And um, I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I didn't have any right to raise my voice to you like that or speak to you like that. I'm, I apologize. Please forgive me. And that's it. Put the phone down. Same with my son. I have got a 16-year-old son. He is unplayable. Unplayable. <laughs> if you had to see him, you would all agree, slap him really hard because it's okay. Did you see what he did to you? So then I do lose it. I don't slap him. Lose it. Raise my voice. Get angry. Act in anger. He slams his door. It doesn't break anymore because he broke the first one. Now it's wood. It's not glass. <laughs> I go to the kitchen, carry on with whatever I was doing for them, to feed them, or whatever it was. All the time in the kitchen, time in the kitchen is waiting for them, except when I make my coffee. <laughs> Holy Spirit's like, can we talk about this? Um, that was not being a godly dad. You acted in anger. And I'm going to get to anger, but the problem with anger is the word says, um, you don't have to jump to the text and ask you. So the word says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does it mean? Paul says anger, but don't sin. It means if you're angry and you need to do something to the person who made you angry, if you can't not act in anger, walk around the house, 
go sleep, go for a drive, but do not act in anger. Why? Because some of some says, yes, it's self-righteous anger. I was so angry, and it was just, everybody said, yes, of course, some children should never speak like that to their dads. That's true. But I need to be able to respond to him like God the Father would respond to me in love and mercy first. So I did not. I respond to him in sin. I sinned against them. My job in the Lord is to show him what Jesus looks, looks like. If I raise my voice and I get angry and I slam the door, I sin against him. Besides that I've shown him a part that Jesus doesn't look like at all. I pray to God that those moments, and that's why I do the next step, you know what that is, is that's not how Jesus wants us to respond to our children. If you're angry, you sort it out, you're the adult, walk around the house, and when you're perfectly calm, and you can have a conversation that's going to be sensible and edifying and a teaching opportunity to your child, and you lay down boundaries, great. But if you do it in anger, none of it will serve God. Not in his life, not in your own life. So then the Holy Spirit's like, okay, now I'll go back. I've got to knock on his door. And then, and then I have to say, Zach, can I just speak to you very quickly? And then I have to say, Zach, I'm sorry. I was angry. It doesn't make right what you did, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to say that I didn't respond to you like a godly dad should. I raised my voice, and I got angry, and that's wrong. So please forgive me. And then I'll say, okay, please close the door. And then I close the door. And not once in his 16 years has he come back to me to say he's also sorry. I don't know how long that's still going to be like that. But it doesn't matter. It's hard. I'd love for him to come back to me and say, oh, Dad, in tears, I'm so sorry, I love you so much. I don't even know if I've got faith for that in a lifetime. But that's not the point. The point is, those are moments for me to encounter the broken, broken Marius and the broken things in Marius. And then when I mess up, I didn't hold to God's standard. I sinned. Then the way I might, I make, I, I redeem that sin, I give it some value, is I let the Holy Spirit convict me, I go to him, I repent, I teach him what repentance is, and I show to him the humility of a man who serves God, and I show him what mercy looks like, undeserved forgiveness. You need to be in your room for the next six weeks with no water. <laughs> so now what God does is, the moment I've now responded to the Holy Spirit's conviction that I messed up and I acted in anger. Lord, I'm sorry. Now I'm right with the Lord. And when I then walk out the thing the Holy Spirit's asking me to do, I've redeemed, redeemed something of my sin. And in the only way that, he can, that I can teach anything to that child at the moment, I've shown him a little bit of the love of God. Okay. Let's look at Vengeance. Um, slide 13. Yes, you guys are good. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The reason I wanted to pick on vengeance is that it's a friend of anger. See, we think it's okay to be angry. And it's normal to be angry. And when you're angry, you're angry. It's an emotion. But there's another verse. I don't know if I, if I put it on the slides. Um, anyway. There's another verse which talks about anger. And it says, don't let the sun go set on your anger. It also talks about offense. Overlook an offense and don't stay angry at people. So the thing about vengeance, we see all these movies, Taken. We see Taken with Liam Neeson. It's a thing. These vengeance movies these days. And I think I watch it. Sorry, Neil, if it's a problem. I've watched them. But, but I'm thinking, why do we love it so much? Do you know why we love it so much? I think it's because the guy who's been wronged seeks justice against this evil guy, kills him terribly, and he deserves it. And, and I think it, it's, it's something of God in us that enjoys this justice being played out. But that's good if it's a movie. But if it's your life, you're in trouble. Because if I don't forgive you and I keep you in prison, I'm taking vengeance on you. Worse, if I show you that you're not forgiven. When you start giving people a cold shoulder, you treat them differently. What are you doing? You're exacting vengeance. You refuse to forgive them. They're guilty in your eyes and they're staying in jail until you let them go. And they deserve it. That's the justice part. They deserve it. You, in, you know what? You enjoy it. There's a part of forgiveness that's hard because there's some part of it we enjoy to hold. And that's evil. That's demonic. Because you're keeping him in jail. Firstly, you're not releasing the mercy from God and you're in trouble here. I mean, you're offended here. You, you live in unforgiveness. It cuts you off here. It's like you're, you're diving on, on, the, on, the, on the floor, on the island, ocean floor, and then you're so angry with the captain, you cut off the pipe that supplies you with oxygen. That's not going to help you. So, uh, so, let's get back to the point. I think we must see there's a part of our fallen human nature. And remember, I'm not saying it's only spiritual in the sense of demonic. I think if you stay there, the demonic will come. But the first part of it is our fallen nature. We're corrupt. And in our fallen nature, we want to take vengeance ourselves. He deserves it. He doesn't deserve to be forgiven. I won't speak to that person again. Never will that, that person do this and this to me again. What's that? Keeping them in prison? And I'm exacting my vengeance. So besides for the mercy from God, you're not getting. You're in trouble. God is the only judge. If you judge that harshly, he will judge you that harshly. When you do tomorrow, the same thing. And it's not your place to take any vengeance. And you know what? It should be the most freeing thing in the world. Because God is all about you living in unforgiveness. Forgiveness does not depend ever on the person apologizing to you. You don't see it anywhere. King David went, when he um, committed adultery with Bathsheba, he was married to another lady. In one day, he was unfaithful to his own wife, 
slept with his general's wife, and then got the general killed to cover it up. Can we go to his prayer? Look what he prays. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my, trans my transgressions. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, we're born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We arrive in this world evil. The point here is, when the person sins against me, yes, in a, sin, in a sense they've hurt my feelings, so they've sinned against me, but his real issue is with God. If he doesn't make right with God, if that stays between him and God, my forgiveness of him will not set him free from the judgment of God. God will deal with him. The problem, if we don't forgive, is we step into another, we now step into the, the, the fight. So I'm not going to forgive him, now God has an issue with me. Because I need to forgive. I didn't have an issue with God the moment he did something wrong to me. But the moment I decided not to forgive him, God's got very much an issue with that. Because what did he, who did his son die for? For that guy as well. His son died for him, not me. His son paid for his sins. And he needs to make my right to Jesus. But I need to see the mercy of God towards me. Extended onwards, otherwise this relationship becomes a mess. When, when, when there's stuff happening here between people and you don't resolve it in the Lord, it will start interfering with your relationship with God. Promise you. And on offense, I'll just say this about offense. I don't know what it is about the word offense that, that, that somehow makes it sound that, that it's not unforgiveness. It's almost if you say, that's fine, I'm offended. Wait a minute, what is offense? What is that other than somebody hurt you, hurt your feelings in your, in your mind, and you're refusing to forgive them? Because I, if Neil does something that offends me, and I'm angry, he doesn't have to know. If I forgive him, I'm no longer offended. Tomorrow, I'll forget what it was. Why? Because I've, to the extent that he did something to me, I've extended mercy. No, so it just extended it. But if I go home, and a week from now, I see Neil and I'm still muffed. You know what? You're offended. You know what? You got angry. He sinned against you in your mind. It may even be wrong. But in your mind, he sinned against you. And you haven't forgiven him. Only offense you can hold is unforgiveness. You can, and, and it looks nice because it's offense, but it's not nice. And let me just say, when it comes to the church of God, when a leader that's above you offends you, and this we want to bring one other thing in, now we must know we're in the house of God. So it's Jesus, the church, in this house, Neil. We serve him as an eldership team, deacons and the leaders. But if I have an issue with Neil in the house of God, I'm picking a fight with God. Because I'm now under God's authority through him to me. So you must make sure that your heart is right. Because I, if I'm going to pick a fight, if I'm going to be offended at the man of God over me, I'm messing with God's order. What did David say to Saul when he, when he cut off his robe? He was convicted. 
because he was God's anointed. He was God's anointed leader over him. And he was convicted because he said something, did something dishonoring about to the king. If I think I can walk around with, with offense and forgiveness against this man, God will, it's the same. I need to deal with it. So let me just say one thing, how we deal with it, and then I'll close. A few years ago, a friend of mine, when I was relatively new in the church, he invited me to the church. He was then uh, an elder. And I can't remember what happened. It's like at a meeting, I think it was, we had a Friday meeting for a while for homeless people and people from Zimbabwe. I think it was one of those meetings. And he did something. Said something in a meeting, and I was like, oh, that wasn't very cool. And, um, but I left it. And then, as I started thinking about it, I was like, you know what? There's these 10 things that I can say about this. So I think I'm going to have a meeting with this guy. But luckily, he's also a lawyer, so we're both busy. So I couldn't get to meet him the sec- first week. Couldn't meet him the second week. Could only see him two weeks Friday at the Spur here in the city. And by that time, God had got a hold of me. And he's like, you know what? Your top 10 list... Those seven, it's all you. That's not him. That one's insecurity. That one's pride. That one's just because you were too sensitive. That had nothing to do. He didn't really do anything wrong. And the Lord was like, there's these three things that you could take to him. Now, I want us to say this in the church. Let's say three of the ten is something he did against me. There's only one time when I'm under an obligation to go to him. If all of the other times when I'm not under, under obligation, which I'll explain in a minute, when I'm not under obligation, God's first prize is if I can overlook his offense, forgive him in my heart, and never say a word to him. Proverbs says it's two man's glory to overlook an offense. Why? Because you lack God. He just, he just overlooks it. And remember when he says, when we come to salvation, he says, I will never remember your sins again. God can't forget. But he says, I, will decide, I decide never to remember them again. What we do sometimes with unforgiveness is we don't want to forget. It's almost like, you know, what the animals that throw up in their mouth, it's a terrible word, but they, when they regurgitate, that's what we do. I don't really want to forgive properly because then I must never remember it. I'm just going to bring it up every now and then and chew on it. That's exactly what we do. Because you know, if we've properly forgiven, I promise you, six months from now, you won't remember it. That's a good sign. If you can't remember what he offended you with, then you're properly forgiven. I honestly can't remember. Okay, I'm also old. It's a long time ago. But I can't remember the last three things. But I want to say to you, first prize, but for the obligation part. He said, overlook his offense, pray for him, and move on. Remember, you've heard the thing said that when I don't forgive, I'm taking a poison and I'm hoping for the sinner to die. But that's exactly what happens. I'm in trouble with the Lord because what's in my heart? That guy's free. So the one obligation, as I see it, I think if you're in a church, if there's a discipline discipling issue. In other words, I've been in a situation where 
I would prefer not to have to talk to this guy because I'm big enough, full of mercy enough by the grace of God. I don't really have to deal with it. But sometimes the Lord is like, wait a minute, he must also learn. He must also grow. So the obligation part will be if the Lord says, as an, as an opportunity, because it says a younger believer, he did something in a meeting, as an opportunity for you to help him grow. Go to him, sit him down as a brother, see how you can encourage him, correct him, rebuke in love if you have to. Why? So that he can grow up to be more like Jesus. But that's the only mission. You never go to get an apology. And if you can, just forgive. So Paul writes, he says, so this incidentally, the background is, there's a guy in the church who had sinned, and they've put him out, but he's come back in. So he says, when he talks about forgiveness, it's in that context, but it, the principle applies. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in sight of Christ for your sake. In order, sorry Dale, that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So the one scheme would have been, I'll read that now, the one scheme would have been if the church, and it was a gross sin, this man slept with his father's, the boy slept with his father's wife. So the church got really upset and they turned against him. But the scheme of the enemy would be, I've written a strong letter, I've warned him, you must put him out of the church. But now, remember, Satan would like to keep him out of fellowship. If he keeps him out of fellowship, he's vulnerable. He's not in church where he's safe. So, so make sure that you forgive him so that he can come back into fellowship because the redemptive purpose of his being put out has been served. He's repented. Now you need to welcome him back into fellowship. But don't you think Satan uses unforgiveness as a scheme to outwit us? Because we think unforgiveness is fine. We think I can get angry with people and sit on it. It's fine. It's not. There's an issue. You just don't know it. And there's, a, there's something of your relationship with God. It'll be different. Somehow people can live with forgiveness for years and they still worship. I don't know. But what I can tell you, there's a part of your relationship, this relationship with God, that's shut off until you forgive. Until you open this up. Oh, that's the last one. Hebrews. Um, that's it. Love this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of, throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So, God says he gives grace to the mercy, uh, he, gives, he resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble, right? We know that if I didn't extend mercy, God would have mercy. So if I go to the throne and I haven't extended mercy, will I receive mercy? No. You need to receive the mercy before you can find the grace. You won't have the grace of God if you haven't extended mercy. Receive mercy because, Lord, I've forgiven. Everybody I know I've, I must forgive. Okay, I'll have mercy on you. And now I'll give you grace. 
I'll empower you for the next hard thing you have to do. As Jesus suffered, I will empower you to fight temptation. Or I'll empower you to suffer and forgive people when it's hard and they've really, really hurt you. But it's glorious because that's how you stay. To go back to the first sentence, that's how we stay in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's how we stay in fellowship with God, where we walk and He walks with us and we know He's right here. And if you start living that, you'll know He's no longer there because I got offended and I didn't deal with it right away. And the more you deal with these little things right away, the easier it is to hear Him, the closer He is. It's the best thing you can do for yourself. And, and so that Jesus gets the glory he deserves because he died like that so that we could live like him and his mercy can flow through us okay thank you yeah. <laughs> beautiful